Thank you for your participation in uh, Crossroad Bible Institute. I, I just want to talk to you this morning. Um, there's been something that's been rattling around in my head for the last couple weeks, and I can't shake it. So that tells me I guess I got to talk about it. And what I'd like you to do is to help me out, um, work through this this uh, thing that's been rattling around in my brain with me this morning. And then if you think it's worthwhile for the people of God, let me know. Then I'll write a sermon on it and preach it in churches where I go, okay? So you can kind of help me decide if this is something that, you know, God's people need to hear or, you know, they go back to the old stuff, you know? Um, and how it starts is actually, do you, do you still have these blue salters in the pew? Yeah. Could, you, could you pull those out a minute? And go to page 9 in the back, or page 8. And this is really, I think, appropriate because it was Reformation Day. And um, I think Greg has told you about the fact that our family uh, took a trip when he was in middle school, and the other kids were all under him. We, went, we took a trip to middle school to Old Heidelberg, where the Heidelberg Catechism was written. And it was written by Professor Ursinus from the University of Heidelberg and helped along by Reverend Olavianus, who is the president of a pastor of the Church of the Holy Spirit. And um, we took a trip to Heidelberg, happened to get on the top floor of a hotel called the Hollandsa Hotel. I kid you not, this is in Heidelberg, it's the Hollandsa Hotel. And it was kind of like a suite that they surprised us with, and it had three um, windows on three sides, and on one side we could see the Church of the Holy Spirit, and on the other side, Frederick's Castle, Frederick the Protector, who ordered the writing of the Heidelberg Catechism, and out of the third side, we could see the Necker, which was uh, a little finger of the Rhine, and then we also visited Heidelberg University. I, I happened to mention this to my daughter, Lisa, and I said, do you remember we were at Heidelberg? She goes, yeah, I remember you thought you were in Disneyland. You know, I, mean, uh, I was uh, so, so excited. And you know what we did? This is, this, uh, this is a Lord's Day, this Lord's Day one, as a family, as the kids are growing up, we memorized it together. And so a great thrill was for me to be in Heidelberg, in that hotel room, overlooking this beautiful site, and as a family, we recited Lord's Day one. Uh, I highly recommend it that your family memorize this. But let's, um, let me... Ask the question, let's together answer it out loud, okay? What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. After all of these years, written in 1563, it still is beautiful, isn't it? Did you know the Heidelberg Catechism is the third best-selling book of all times? 
after the Bible and after Pilgrim's Progress than the Heidelberg Catechism. And then when we see that first question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And you know, you hear those words, and especially maybe if you're my age and grew up with this, but uh, maybe in some respect, all of you, that my only comfort is belonging to Jesus. My only comfort in life and death is, is, is Jesus. And that, that, that kind of just washes over you, doesn't it? Like a spiritual massage. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, you know, it kind of smells like a pot roast simmering on Sunday afternoons. Uh, my only comfort in life and in death, my only comfort is Jesus. But then, in the last couple of weeks, I've been bothered by this phrase because I don't think that we really buy it, do we? That, that Jesus is our, our only comfort, our only consolation. I mean, I think we'd say he's our, our number one consolation and comfort. We'd say he's the best comfort We'd say he's an awesome comfort, but would we really say he's our only comfort? Ouch, That's, that seems to be different. I mean, do we actually believe that? Do we actually live by that? That he's our only comfort? Now, I think there are times in the Christian life where you start to get a very dim glimpse of what that might be like. For example, in suffering. I think about those Christians in Iraq since the fall of Saddam Hussein. Tens of thousands of them fleeing for their lives. Thousands of them being killed for their faith. Beheaded, crucified. Uh, I, I, I bet they have a, maybe a little better understanding of this only comfort in that kind of situation. They don't have much else, do they? And so when people suffer, I think about our people in prison, uh, I think maybe they have a, a dim glimpse of Jesus being their only comfort I think the people at the time of the writing of the Heidelberg Catechism kind of got it. You know, at the time of the Catechism, those were rough times, folks. I mean, life expectancy was low, I think, in the 30s. Um, most babies were dead by age two. They had sickness, like the Black Plague, and sickness that could decimate the population. And so they didn't have much more but Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we as modern Christians don't love Jesus. I, I know we love Jesus. You, you, you all love Jesus. I love Jesus. All right? But isn't it true, Jesus is not quite enough. We want Jesus and good health. We want Jesus and a comfortable retirement. We want Jesus 
and all of our kids to go to church. We want Jesus and our church to play the right music. We want Jesus and our neighbors to keep their place looking better. I mean, it just kind of keeps going and going and going. We, we love Jesus. He's our chief comfort. He's our best comfort. He's our number one. But our only comfort? Don't we want Jesus plus? And so, for the sake of ecclesiastical integrity, I'd like to recommend maybe to the council that they write an overture to classes, to overture synod, to put a footnote by that Lord's Day one. A footnote, because we do that once in a while, sometimes we have to, you know, tinker a bit with the confessions because they aren't the Bible. But I think the council members, you know, should, should send an overture to put a footnote by Lord's Day one in fine print and say, Wow, awesome sentiment, beautiful thought, but not according to the facts. What do you think? Just to be honest. Or is there another way to look at it? Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15? Because there's a woman here that maybe can help us understand what that means that Jesus is our only comfort. Matthew 15, beginning at verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Now, that right there tells you kind of a bit what's going on. When Jesus came into the world, the world was still under the dominion of Satan since the fall, and he comes to usher in his new kingdom. Okay, so these demon possessions and so forth are indications of, of where the devil still held hostage that territory and this family. And this woman wants deliverance. But Jesus did not answer a word. Now it seems like Jesus is being kind of tough just to ignore her. Did you, have you ever felt that Jesus isn't answering you? He's doing something here, I think, pretty special with this lady, but Right now, it feels pretty cold. And so his disciples came to him. They jumped right on that and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And then he seems to confirm what they're saying. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. But he wants that lady to hear this, because she's a Greek. She's not in family of God yet. She's not an Israelite. She's a Syrophoenician, a Greek. But she wants a seat at the table or something. And the woman came and knelt before him. 
Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And then it's just like Jesus piles it on. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Gentiles were sometimes referred to as dogs by the Israelites. And some uh, scholars have tried to soften this by saying, well, the Greek there is a little dog, like a lap dog. Well, I don't want to be compared to a lap dog either. It's not right to take the children's bread, those who are at the table, and toss it to their dogs. And then here's what she says. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus says something amazing. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and your daughter was delivered from the demon. What was such great faith about that? She says, even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. This woman was happy to settle for a crumb. You see, we want the whole loaf. We want Jesus and a comfortable retirement. We want Jesus and our kids to act right. We want Jesus, we want the whole loaf. But this woman, she says, Lord, all I need is a crumb as long as it comes from you. All I need is a crumb as long as it comes from you. She got this this only comfort thing. This only comfort. Maybe there's another way we could look at this only comfort thing. Maybe it's more an article of faith than a statement of fact right now. Let me repeat that. Maybe it's an article of faith rather than a statement of fact right now, because we know we're not there. But it's an article of faith that Jesus is our only comfort. And you know, we begin to learn that through life. It's said that the end of life is a relentless series of losses. You ever think about that? The older you get, the more you lose. (laughs) I think about the mighty sports figures. By age 40, they're finished. By age 40, they're done. They they, they lose their, their body's gifts and power and minds and so forth. By 40, they're done. But as we grow older, we, we lose things. It's a series of losses. You lose your health. You lose your loved ones and family and friends, 
children or parents. You wonder if the money's going to last. Are you going to lose that? And then I saw my dear dad who died, I think, three months ago, and his suffering. But then towards the end, you know, you're in those rest homes and rehab centers, and they're changing you, washing you. You sort of lose all your dignity, don't you? It's that series of loss. But it is possible that belonging to Jesus as my only comfort can that be an article of faith which is our North Star? Our North Star that is, that is bringing us along the trip of life. And can we look at those losses, those accumulation of losses, as making the ship lighter and accelerating in its love for Jesus? article of faith. If you think that works, then I have two takeaways for you, okay? The first one is this. Hang on to things in this life loosely. Loosely. Don't hang on for dear life or too tightly to your things, your stuff, your relationships, and all the rest. Hang on to it loosely. Because you only have it as long as God wants you to have it. And what's best for your well-being and your future. When Greg had, was in the midst of that cancer, what is that, three years ago now? I I've had a lot of lessons to learn. It took me a couple years to go over Jacob's death. It still bugs me. But when Greg had that cancer, I was talking with a very close friend of mine. His name is Phil. We're on the phone. And I said, Phil, if I lose Greg, I don't think I can go on. And Phil said, Dave, remember, he's the Lord's kid, not yours. He's the Lord's kid, not yours. And that turned it around for me. Hang on loosely. Thank God for, of course, for every moment, precious moment that we have with each other and the comforts that we enjoy. But the fact is that one by one, those will all be gone. And what are you going to have left if you don't have Jesus? Hang on loosely. Enjoy life and your loved ones. Don't hang on so tight. Because Jesus is the only comfort. Second takeaway. Isn't this the message we need to share 
At the Reformation, there were five solas. See if I can remember them. Faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, and to God alone be the glory. The five solas of the Reformation. Well, all five of those solas are in Lord's Day 1 in this phrase, my only comfort. And that's the message. That's the good news to be spreading to the world. And I think especially those who are suffering are open to hear it, like orphans in Latin America, like homeless in the shelters, like prisoners in prison, because they're getting a glimpse of that, of life without anything. And we can tell them about the only comfort, the only comfort in life and in death. In our nation today, in our world today, people want the whole loaf. They want it all, right? And so they find their comfort and consolation in having enough money in the bank or having their kids do whatever they want or winning trophies. But when they invest in those comforts, they'll someday find that it's nothing. So what is your only comfort? I think if I write a sermon on this, I would entitle it, My Only Comfort, dash, really? But as I work my way through it now, I see my only comfort Yes. <laughs>